0: I want to ask about first. Just you have such an interesting history with where you moved and grew up and where you've lived: mm-hmm. uh, Belgium, Singapore, Chicago, and Wisconsin, and now of course New Orleans since 2002. So maybe we can start off with just talking about growing up and moving so much and how maybe how that affected your upbringing musically or otherwise. Or... Yeah,
1: um, you got all of the countries, Did I get and them regions. Right? Yes, those are all correct. Um, my my first. Well, I was born on a farmhouse in Belgium. Um, at the time, I didn't realize all the trajectory my parents took, which was my Belgian dad uh, came to the University of Chicago to get his MBA at the same time as my mom was getting her master's in theology from the uh, Chicago Theological Seminary. Mm. So that's how they met. And then she agreed to marry this crazy Walloon. That's how, what we call French-Belgians Walloons. Walloons. Mm-hmm. Um, Walloony Tunes I like to say um, but but so then um, so that anyway but I was born on a farmhouse in Belgium um, and we lived in a beautiful country house and um, my brother's first word was because uh, we were at pig farms all around so that was <laughs> interesting yep um, I and then we moved to Singapore for, and I was two and and my, our French, you know, Belgium has Flemish and French uh, language. And we were on the French side, but I was born in a Flemish hospital. So I really had both in my ears, but oh, I don't wow. speak Flemish. I'm a really okay. typical Walloon that doesn't didn't learn Flemish. We lived on the linguistic border, so we did have a little bit more Flemish around our ears. The reason I'm bringing this up is to try to tie it into my sonic environment. Yes, absolutely. And so then we moved to Singapore, and then in, of course in Singapore, you know, it was a it was off the Malay Peninsula, so Malay, and then the Chinese took over, so Mandarin Chinese, and then they gained the independ or then the British took over, so it was English, <laughs> poor little island, um, and then the uh, then they gained independence, uh, but with the British came a lot of Indian. Um, Hindi-speaking Indians from India. So, so really, there's four official languages in Singapore, Malay, Chinese, Hindi, and English. Mm-hmm. So the TV is all over the place with all four of these languages. And my brother and I were watching cartoons, and then he, we ended up on, a. I was maybe three, and he was five, and we're watching some Hindi-like soap opera. And I think it was Hindi. It could have been Malay or Chinese, and I can't remember right now. But all I remember is that my brother leaned over and said, you won't understand it, it's in Flemish. Because that was our favorite was reference up till yeah, then, so, so we were very confused, but we had a lot of languages floating around our brain.
0: There might be a, a small minority Flemish population in Singapore, you know, Flemish speaking population. Yeah, like all four of them, they, yeah. they, they, play, they
1: play bridge on Thursday. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, wow. no, we were probably it as far as, yeah. the, no, there yeah. were maybe a couple other Belgians, but uh-huh. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, all those all those languages, I do think about that and how that influenced my my ear. You know, people talk about being raised, in, you know, uh, well, I, I live in New Orleans now, so just being raised in New Orleans and hearing New Orleans music and growing up with that, you know just where you're from and influences you, obviously. Um, i I heard a lot of classical music throughout my life, but i but I think these languages always kept my mind pretty. And cultures coming. It's not just a language; it's, it's the culture and the way people act and what they totally. eat and yeah. I mean, what so they look that. like. And you know, I was I was raised around a lot of different people, and I I, um, I think that that has kept me interested in a lot of different styles of music. Mm-hmm. So, and mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Um, so, when did you start? Well, first, let me ask: Was the cello the first instrument that you? That you learned, or did you? or were you singing before? Um,
1: we, my mom encouraged us to play piano when we were in like, I think second grade mm-hmm. or third grade. We started piano, and I hated it. It was like mm-hmm. such a disciplined instrument, and I, But I, I stayed with it for a couple of years, and then kind of gave up on it, on on the, um, as a child. And then yeah, I learned to, I picked up the cello at age nine. Okay.
0: My. Where um, were you living when you? Picked in Singapore. You were in Singapore. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. My first cello teacher was a Filipino woman. Who who still plays in the Sim- Singapore Symphony Orchestra, mm-hmm. and her name's uh, Ermina Ilano, and she had me hold the cello for a month before uh, playing it. So she just had to get comfortable with this weird object. It's quite a big instrument for a kid or for even for an adult. It's a weird thing. You're you know you're holding this in between your legs and it's leaning on your chest and your mm. your mm. your whole you're trying to play a sound with a stick that has hair on it. I mean, it's a weird thing to do, you know? <laughs> so she, she was just like, well, sit with it for a while and listen to me play, which is so smart because the first sound you hear usually when you're, t- you're as a, as a student and you're nine, is like, you know, or like, like, it just sounds like someone barfing in a tin can, you know? Which, depending
0: on the context, can be a totally well, perfect, perfect sound. To
1: I, now I'm really into that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway yeah so it, it was it was nice she played the swan you know by famous like and I would just sit there and she's I would hug it and then like and then she'd come back and adjust my 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 posture, my posture mm. and then she'd play some more maybe you know and so it was it was a very physical sort of uh, way to start I, sure. I, I kind of think about that now more as I get asked that question I'm like oh that, that probably influenced me too in a in a in a way
0: Studied North Indian singing as well. Did you study that in Singapore,
1: or did you? No, you'd think so, or? but no. Mm-hmm. Um, Madison, Wisconsin. Of course, that's where everyone
0: goes for North uh, Indian
1: for their Indian musical yeah. training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, probably. Oh, okay. It lives around these parts. Yeah. Um, no, uh, actually, I didn't learn uh, how to sing, but I learned from a cellist who's unique in the world. Her name's Nancy Lesh, and she gave up her Western classical cello career in the Rome Festival Orchestra. Um, she she had been playing in that for several years, and she was getting burnt out with classical music. She was 27 or 28, and she'd been doing that exclusively for her whole life. And she moved to... Or she went to India on vacation. And she called... She just... She fell in love with the culture. Mm. And... Um, and she ended up. She was playing. She went there. I really should tell this story. She she had memorized the Bach suites for unaccompanied cello. Mm-hmm. She was practicing, and and, and uh, Indian, a North Indian Hindustani male vocalist happened to be living nearby, and heard her practicing, and came and introduced himself, and said, "How are you, improvising all of this stuff?" And she's like, "No, no, no, no. This is all music that was written." Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, well how have you memorized all of this stuff So then they got into this conversation about music and he shared what he knew and by by the by the time the relationship you know uh, by by that at the end of the conversation she was so intrigued and then she called and quit her job and stayed in India seven years and studied with this man for seven years and and he, he, he said, I love the sound of, of the cello. It reminds me of the male voice. So mm-hmm. so then she really learned how to play his music, uh, North Indian ragas, via male voice. She transcribed all of that to the sound of the cello, and she developed a technique that is all her own. She only uses first and second finger as far as fretting, then the fretless uh, fingerboard of the cello so that she can kind of get a very pure uh uh timbre and and, and um, mm. um articulation articulation that's what i'm looking mm. for thank you okay. and um she she sits now now on the ground cross-legged she's welded a t-bar at the end of the end pin of the cello so that she so that the cello doesn't move away from her she holds the bow um, like a German style bow. She sits on the floor. She sits cross-legged on the floor. Classical
0: cello, like to, the, She
1: to play a classical play. cello, but she no longer plays classical yeah. music. She's devoted her whole career to that. Anyway, she's wonderful, Nancy Lesh. and now she lives in India. I actually went to visit her last year to say thank you in India, and uh, she hadn't. We hadn't seen each other in a really long time. Oh wow! And because she opened up my ears for the first time, I went and studied with her in Madison. I was so lucky to be there at the same time she was there. She was raising kids half in Madison. She had married a guy from Madison, and half in India. And I happened to coincide with her. And she sang to me, but had me play what I would like. Like she was taught, she had me play what she was singing to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I couldn't even find the first note. I was 19. I was a class Western classical cellist. I couldn't even find that first note. And she was like, you know, saga sa. I was like. Where is it? <laughs> I, my ears are like asleep. So, serious ear training. Serious is, ear yeah. training. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. two years of that, and then, yeah, and then New Orleans. Uh, well, Venus. I want to
0: segue into New Orleans. Yeah. But before that, I just want to ask you about your introduction to improvised music. Where did that begin? And maybe you can talk a little bit about the early experiences. There are multiple influences, obviously, in music, but I, I'm curious to know when you discovered. Free improvisation and when you started to apply that into your
1: right to music mm-hmm. well this is good because Nan- so nancy opened up my ears to improvising and that word improvising now was like i was obsessed with it i would mm-hmm. drive home from my lessons Where i was going to beloit college actually mm-hmm. and so i'd drive from madison back to beloit and i was all excited about this improvising so then i i looked for improvising cellists and of course then i just found I, that's how I found a lot of jazz cello players mm-hmm. well a lot is an overstatement I, I started seeking out the rare few that I could find and I would, I would be I was that nerdy you know like person at the record store like so do you guys know any jazz cello players you know like, <laughs> and then like they were like oh well have you heard Abdul Wadud he played with Julius Hemphill Orchestra I was like no you know and then, but, the, <laughs> you put but I went and like listened to it I was like wow it's amazing, oh, amazing. Um, yeah. so th- and then I'd go back to another one to another record store and I'd act all cocky like oh do you guys know uh, Abdul Wadud you know do you have a solo record and they're like who's that and I'm like mm, play with Judas Hemphill Orchestra and they're like, like if it. I came up with that on my own mm-hmm. <laughs> first, first. <laughs> but anyway so I became more of a jazz musician in that way like my ego was in training too but I um,
0: <laughs> but jazz no musicians don't really
1: have no no, no no they're no yeah. Um so <laughs> But no, then I, I no, but I really started studying um, that that ni- niche, and it was it. So I came into that world via cellists. But then when I I felt like I was exhausting my limited like my resources as ch- to find a cellist, then I like found people like Willie Ruff, who was a uh, um, uh, Dizzy Gillespie's bass player for years, mm. and he was studied classical French horn and then he came into jazz and started learning the bass because he didn't get he french horn wasn't as versatile as a cello as far as yeah. sneaking in the bands mm-hmm. um, so he ended up actually I mean don't quote me on that I'm sure that he wouldn't say that necessarily that way but that's how i interpreted it so um but so then i found his like solo french horn record and then i got all of his stuff with Dizzy Gillespie so i could hear how someone else in a classical trained trained instrument has adapted his sound in the jazz and so I was trying to find examples of people like like me that mm. were trying to do what I wanted to do, improvise. And then I went to the New Directions Cello Society Festival, Where which It's like the biggest nerdi- nerdiest cello convention. Um, and it, it, at the time, it was in Stores, Connecticut, um, near Hartford. Um, okay. And uh, the. Um, and And people coming from bluegrass cello, jazz cello experimental cello pop like Rasputina, that like gothy female cello trio was there. and then Ernst Reisiger from mm. the ICP world was Wonderful there cellist, yeah. yeah. And so that was and and so then I and er, uh, Eric Friedlander mm-hmm. I heard him. and I got introduced to people like Vincent Courtois because then after hours we're all nerding out and comparing records and stuff. So um so I, I owe a lot to that festival too. And then I was hooked and I I thought, Jazz, Jazz, where am I going mm. to go? Chicago, I was totally intimidated. I'd been to the Velvet Lounge in Chicago, and I'm like, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then I saw a sitar player play there, and I thought, hmm, maybe. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: we, all, we all missed the Velvet Lounge. Yeah, the one like, on
1: 89 and a half South Indiana.
0: Yeah, there was one where it was a half of an address for people who remember mm-hmm. it here. It was on South Indiana, and it was surrounded by two amazing... Um, fried chicken restaurants. So mm-hmm. you're a, like nice. 26, 29 and a half South Indiana is the Velvet Lounge. Huh. And then it smelled like barbecue chicken. It smelled so good inside. And then like you'd hear like Steve Lacey play in this old club, and like Fred Anderson, legendary tenor saxophone player, is like sleeping at the door. He's like taking the money, just like the whole thing was fantastic. But Velvet Lounge, rest mm-hmm. in peace. talk to you a little bit about New Orleans. Why mm-hmm. did you I think you were probably going yeah. in that direction, but you moved there in 2002. Okay. What made you choose other than being one of the great cities of the world for music and food and many things, what made you decide to
1: well, to move there. <clears throat> so I went to this festival in 2001. Mm-hmm. Right by then I was totally hooked on improvising. I was like, I want to improvise. Mm-hmm. And I was in Madison and not to diss Madison, but I, the only improv I could find me at the time as a cellist, I was playing with all these folk singers mm-hmm. and as much as I was enjoying that, I, I I wanted it I wanted it to be edgier. You yeah. know, I my upbringing was was very rich in experiences and different sounds, and I was looking for different sounds. And it was just a little too pretty, not yeah. not a not a far enough departure from classical music for my taste. So yeah. I was looking for edgier stuff. And and uh, again, for some reason, I just didn't see myself uh, being able to get into the Chicago scene at that time. And I wanted to. Um, so I was actually, thinking, and also, just personally, I wanted to experience a different culture, mm-hmm. and so I was thinking Montreal or New Orleans All were sort of cities. in my mind. And also, there's a French influence I was missing my French upbringing. I think that was kind of influencing me too. I was playing drums in a girl punk band. Again, I didn't, I didn't feel mm-hmm. confident to play cello in that band yet. Like I was like, I just gotta bash on some drums, and um, and anyway, and so then I moved. I went to visit New Orleans. And, and I really felt like there was something about that city that, um, um, I know we're not talking music right now, but just the tropical plants mm. of Singapore and the tropical nature of the climate. Like I literally ran into a banana flower, which, you know, mm. banana trees have that weird like thing that's hanging. Absolutely. Like, it looks like the little shop of horrors flower, yes. like Seymour's. is about to look <laughs> 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 you know? um, Anyway, it's like exciting Vegetation, waters <laughs> <laughs> move anywhere. Um,
0: the weather's I mean, the weather's nice. Than Chicago. Yeah, sure? right. Yeah.
1: It was, yeah. but the humidity kind of felt familiar. Mm-hmm. I think, and I remember ta- calling my mom actually at the time and saying, "Mom, there's something really familiar about this place, and it's different. Like there's, it was for me very different culture, and and then the and then the French influence was really big for me there too. There was even though it's not like Lafayette where you hear Cajun French being right. spoken it's still there's that influence and then the musicians we have a street called frenchman street that's pretty popularized now but um where there's live music all along the street and i I went there and i felt like i saw people sitting in i saw people like it seemed really like an open uh culture as far as music and like more connected with the street like from street to bar and stage it wasn't that far of a reach got it so i thought maybe i could get maybe i could talk my way into the scene more I, easily you know a
0: handful of times i've been down there it's the feel nothing but warmth from the musicians it's yeah. really it's really a, a peculiar not peculiar it's a wonderful but very different from any other yeah. city i've ever been in for sure
1: yeah, I think warmer climates tend to have that sort of like, you, you hang out on your porch, you, you open your door, you let the breeze in, you kind of like, you're more like connected with the street, you know, Absolutely. just like that that's a thing that happens in warmer climates generally anyway. But. Yeah.
0: And you still live in Musicians Village? I do. So this is something that is, I don't know of any other city in the United States that has something like this. So it was it Habitat for Humanity that built this after the hurricanes? Yeah. So
1: Harry Connick Jr. and and the Marcellus family had this dream of like building a community and providing houses for musicians, so that there would be so that they would come back after Katrina, basically, yeah. and have a place to, to live, and then build a community around this big community center that's called the Marcellus Community Center. And we put on shows. We can we can as musician village uh, inhabitants. We can rent the space to rehearse a band like for it's like five dollars an hour or something really reasonable and and then um uh, we give lessons to the kids in the uh, in a neighborhood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and outside the neighborhood it's become now it's it's starting to finally take off in that way where the because it's pretty tucked away and like. The middle of nowhere in Mm -hmm. New Orleans, and now it's being—it's really—it's really really starting to do what I think it was intended to do, which is nice to see. So
0: there's a real community outreach happening. That's great. Yeah, because
1: also like my on my block, and now unfortunately he passed away, but I had the legendary Smokey Johnson on my block, who was Fats Domino's drummer and um, and and a great human being who lifted everybody. He he was he had uh, a diabetic stroke like 15 years ago and couldn't work with Fats anymore but he still um he just was involved in so many people's lives and just a mentor to tons of people myself included was on my block and then i've got uh Ozaki, who's a jazz bass player who plays with john butte became famous from Treme. Mm-hmm. um and uh, uh al Groh is my my neighbor who plays with the hot eight brass band mm-hmm. and um, the stooges brass band and um, so we we have like you know all these different uh, people in different styles of music. Steamboat Willie plays on the uh, steamboat natchez that that takes people down the Mississippi River and plays this like Americana bluesy stuff. and we' are all these different styles of musicians are now living, and there's like eighty of us, you know. and it's it's fascinating. The funny thing is that there's tour buses that come by every day mm-hmm. and they're like oh the musician's village mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and I'm out there like in my coffee and like taking out the trash and like <laughs> oh I'm pulling up my pants like <laughs>
2: uh, welcome
0: to musician's village. yeah Hi. So is it is it rent controlled because that's something that doesn't exist in this city but um, I know in well, other cities we say. just
1: have a a flat mortgage like that's Got totally it. reasonable and, excellent and and part of the thing because it, it was uh a project with uh, there was like Dave Matthews' band, like, helped sponsor it, and mm-hmm. we, there was all this, like, you know, press around it. And um, we we did this thing called sweat equity uh, in terms of uh, uh instead of a down payment. So at the time, I think I was making like roughly fifteen thousand dollars a year playing music, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and I Fudged my way up to sixteen thousand for the application. That's about twelve thousand more than I usually make the year. Oh okay, How do you do it? That's I great. I don't know, I'll just <laughs> hustle. It's all about the hustle. But but then but the, I mean my career is really taken off. I mean, having a house as an artist, yeah, as you right. know, Completely. like owning a house. Right. And you don't have to worry about I mean it, it's such a wonderful situation and it, it helps and now I have a, I built a house in my backyard that, um, hope, you know will continue to house musicians that are coming to visit me. And um, right now I'm renting it to an artist to, and it just it it just fuels the creativity Fantastic. and it's, yeah, it's been a good thing.
0: You have a question
2: how do you choose artists to collaborate with how do you like what like what what do you hear in them or see in them or feel in them that makes you say like yes that's the line
1: i usually try to play with people that are a lot better than me mm-hmm. um and then i that way i'm hoping that it'll just rub off on me a little bit and i'll get a little bit better you know i mean i mean that's that's that is one thing i've always like my first my first uh my first improv album that I produced was a trio uh, with Tim Green, uh, the late, great Tim Green on saxophone who I heard him play in New Orleans. He's an unsung hero in New Orleans but he used to go on tour with Earth, Wind and & Fire and Peter Gabriel and Stevie Nicks and the guys had an amazing career but he's super soft-spoken. He also started radio for the blind in New Orleans An incredible human being and his playing was always just out of this world. And then Doug Garrison, who was, um, who's an incredible drummer, very versatile drummer. Um, and uh, they, big star, who's the guy? Alex Chilton. Oh my God, yeah. He Alex Chilton brought Doug Garrison to New Orleans from Memphis and he's just a beautiful drummer. So these two musicians in New Orleans and I'm like, and I've played some gigs with them, improv gigs, and we know each other. And I'm like, I wonder if they would agree to like, Play, a, you know, record an album with me because I think they would really lift what I do, you know. And and they said yes, and so there was that project. So that's how I chose them. Um, and then the, you know, James Singleton duo record I did again. He's my teacher. He taught me how to play funky. I was playing this one in his string in his jazz string quartet when I first moved to town, and he uh, I, w- I was playing this riff. this uh, on a tune of his called Foxy Roxy and it was like bum 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 you know that like funk riff that like New Orleans like you do it in your sleep well then here's this like Walloon from the Midwest in Singapore it's like la 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 la
2: I mean <laughs> I was not playing
1: it funky you know and so he's sitting there like think of the big beat da 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 you know and I'm like oh. anyway so he bared with me and I finally learned how to do that anyway James Singleton, I chose him because he, he's my teacher. So I won't, you know, but I guess at some point and then this new project, again, I was thinking outside of New Orleans, who in the States, because my budget is still, I don't know if I can fly people in from, you know, Japan or, but not yet. Um, But, but I was like, okay, who am I going to get? And I, and Nikki Claspy just floored me when I played with her one night at an improv night. Uh, she came to New. She comes to New Orleans. Mm. They all luckily come, like to come to New Orleans, so uh, we can share the expense. But again, she just floored me, and and she made my. I always like to play cello like a bass, and like you know whether I'm rocking out like heavy metal style, noise style, or just playing like a funky bassline. She, she just made me sound like I know I'm never going to sound like Larry Graham, but she's getting me closer just because mm. she's so good. Like I get to try to, you know just bring out my bass chops when i play with her so that's why i chose nikki for this latest latest project jessica Lurie is an incredible composer a spontaneous composer and she can jam out like with like you know she could, she could just basically her breath is a uh, her uh, depth as a player and everywhere mm. from circus music to classical mm. to funk and jazz and oh, she's just incredibly versatile and uh so again, making the project you know come to life, um, and then Brian Haas and I have an interesting classical background where we can play classical cello and piano improv duets that sound like some 20th century classical stuff. And so I thought, wow, combining all of that could be really explosive and fun. And so that's the latest reasoning behind that. There's some examples. I think it how takes how a lot of courage
0: to jump in and start playing with people who are at a higher level than you but often that also leads to some of the best learning experiences
1: yeah I mean I also have like somehow this innate ability to just fall on my face and like and in front of people and like be like whoop fucked up oh well <laughs> next song is gonna be like I some reason don't
0: no that's great that's a great attribute I mean really if, you're, if you can fall on your face and get back up and keep going I mean I don't know what to,
1: like yeah, there's many ways you could describe why I'm doing it that way, but I'm mm-hmm. accidental, accidental on purpose kind of life so far. It's been great. <laughs>
0: great. Any other questions for Helen?
2: Were you, uh, were you using a base I was. Does, does that help you dig in? Or what is yes.
1: This? There's many reasons. Okay. I break so much bow hair that I have more to break, uh-huh. so I can last mm-hmm. longer yeah. I'm I'm on the waiting list for a, a Nakatani bow, this guy who makes his own boats, uh and that are very, very sturdy because he makes them to bow. Uh, Tatsuya Nakatani. He uses them to bow gongs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they have to really be strong. like giant gongs. The hairs are strong. The hair yeah, you actually you can make uh, fishing line. Uh, you can use that, but it takes a long time to wear it in to be so subtle enough. I think
0: Josh Abrams, a great bass player here in town, I think he has a Nakatani Pro. Yeah. I was checking it out. It's really, really interesting because it's really curved.
1: It's curved. It would just be a little bit weird playing. It's like, you know, those people that ride the tall bikes, and you're like, <laughs> how do yeah. they even get on that <laughs> <laughs>
0: Totally. I I'd be like... <laughs> 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 um, but... <laughs> anyway
1: someday I'll, I'll, I'll make my own bow, but the, yeah, the bass bow gives me, it, it's shorter, so I run out of, like, if I'm playing a melody, I'll be like, nah, ah, you know, sometimes I run out of space, uh-huh. mm-hmm. but if I'm just using it to, like, rock out, like, some shorter sounds, it, it's good. Yeah. Um, I, it's like kind of a new discovery the last few months, and I've been enjoying it. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions?
2: Any more? You left Belgium when you were two. Yes. And yet you notice poetry on the side of the freeways that uh, distracts drivers. How did you figure <laughs> that one
1: Well, okay, every summer, uh, we, I lived in Singapore nine years, but every summer my family, we came back to that house mm-hmm. and spent our summers in Belgium and then Chicago and then back to Belgium and then Singapore. So um, those were the days where they gave kids magnetic chess sets in the planes to entertain <laughs> them and stuff like that. Um, uh, checkers and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, checkers more than chess. Um, but but uh, but anyway. But so I spent every, every summer. We have a huge Belgian family, so we had a lot of people to visit and get to get around. And and we had a beautiful house there that my parents gradually turned from a former pig farm into a, like a nice house. And so um, and then and then I'm, then we moved back to Belgium for two more years before I came to Chicago. And those were formative years. So I. Um, but but actually, I met Jules Buchan, the poet, way afterwards because uh, my father, my parents split up, they divorced, and my dad was uh, having a, a very sort of solitary, kind of harder time, and uh, and both him and Jules lived in the same town, and were very sad, and they met they met each other because they had both lost their spouses for different reasons, um, and they became friends, and so my dad introduced me to this man who I then I just love he's. He's one of these people that will write a letter to, you know, when something awful happens in the world or to him personally, he just puts more love out into the world and he's just a a beautiful person.
2: And you got interested in improvisation. How did you start
1: the loop thing? Like where did... I I okay. you know I stopped my piano lessons unfortunately. So and then I never was good at guitar. And I as far as accompanying yourself and singing a song, uh-huh. I became interested in singing French chansons. I yeah. and um, I I wanted to play a chordal instrument. And I yeah I played the cello and I could play chords, but I was still sort of learning that vocabulary of, of fretting chords on the cello in a more folky or rock or jazzy way. And so in, in the meantime, and, and then I just wanted to hear more voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I bought a loop pedal, just a, a very simple loop pedal so I could record a bass line and write uh, a melody. so I, I used it as a compositional tool. Mm. Um, people would use their laptop but I'm busy playing the cello, and I'm I'm trying things out. So you know, a foot pedal works a lot better, and can stomp on these big old Boss loop pedals that, without breaking it and stuff. So it just I just used it really as a tool to compose with. I never thought it become such a I never thought it would become such a part of my sound. Mm. But it just happened. I after Katrina, uh, the big flood, I ended up by myself, and I was. I was workshopping these songs, and I, again, I didn't have access to a band or other musicians, so I really used it to to teach my to to work on music on my own, basically as just a tool, a solitary tool at home. And so, and then I would continue to go play, and I, I get. I remember the moment where I first brought the loop pedal to a gig. It was it was a gig called Hell Is Other People. That Jean-Paul Sartre quote, mm. like yeah. he has that quote, like Hell Is Other People. and It was a solo performer series and but um, and it had that edginess about it and it was like eh you know like so I, I was like I'm gonna sing some French songs and just do them by myself and like I but I was so nervous because I mean you do one false move on that looper and it's like oh mm-hmm. sorry everybody <laughs> um, but but somehow it kind of I thought slowly slowly got more comfortable doing it but it takes a while to it, it took a while to feel like confident enough to to you know Make my first album and then get mm-hmm. the jazz fest. You know, it takes a while. It's a, it's learning a new instrument. It's like a independent. You know, you have a my, my foot now is like, you know, coordinated like a it's choreographed in the my body just like you learn, you gotta hold the cello, you know, and figure out the looper physically.
0: Well, that definitely feels very integrated and very organic the way that you use it.
1: So that's what I'm, That's the goal because yeah. that's really annoying otherwise. I know <laughs> I know loopers can be so annoying and I'm like. Oh. I'm being, I'm being pretty presumptuous here. i just bringing it out at every gig.
0: Yeah, but you use it in a really tasteful way. So. Thank you. Drummers can be really annoying, too. Oh, I try know, my best right? to be tasteful, but at times it's like, what's he doing? I had a guy come up to me once and go, you sound all right, but you know that you already have the gig. And oh, I you said, don't what, do you, what do you say? Yourself. He goes, you can relax a little bit. Yeah. Like, and it was actually a great learning experience.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't
0: figured out how to relax, I know. but...
1: I'm working on it, too. Too much
0: coffee, perhaps. <laughs> uh, any other questions for Helen? Katinka.
2: Um, I, I was wondering, you know, you're, you're a trailblazer as a musician, as a string player, and as a cellist. And um, do you think, you know, like improvisation seems to be kind of like an, an audio tradition, you know, like you, most people are just, the most motivated musicians that I know, like, like you, you, you just go on an unknown path um, and you you just jump in the water and you find your influences and you travel there to learn from people. Um, and there's not really like a, you know an official way, I think, especially for an improvising cellists to do that. Maybe more now. I mean, you know, you're you're one of the people that is, you know, will be an example for many, many improvising cellists to come. And so I was wondering do you think this is actually the best way to learn and should stay this way, or do you think regarding education or teaching, um, you know do you see any like what's your opinion about the future for that like
1: yeah that's such a good question I yeah I've thought about that a lot because I'll go and be like a guest artist at a school a high school or a college even and call co- at college level is the most interesting for me because the cellists I'm meeting that are interested in what I'm doing they're in the classical program but they're they're like ah, oh, I just really want to do something else and and then there are their teachers are all like, don't contaminate my cellist, you know, with ideas. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm
1: like right in between this line. I'm like, don't worry, I'm encouraging them to continue. I'm gonna give them a little something up, you know. <laughs> so you have to surf this line. Whereas the jazz studies program, they're like it's more it, there's more history there. If you're a saxophone player in a jazz study, or a guitar player is a good example because you have the classical guitar and and the jazz guitar and you can you know, but, but like there's instruments that can serve between the two. Our bass, like the bass to be the closest to the cello. Um, uh, you know, you have the uh, ba- bass players in a lot of music programs that will be in the jazz department, but they're taking classical bass and they're doing both. And they seem to have integrated that pretty well. But the cello is still sort of like a, it's like. It's like it's just not well seen still in the in that in the classical world. It's like you're gonna lose your finesse and precision if you start playing funky bass lines you know and which has some truth in it if you don't maintain the other, but if you can maintain the two, I don't see why you couldn't expand I mean we're expanding as human beings all the time, so um I think that there should be more and more um like meetings and board education board meetings for for music programs to to figure out a way to incorporate for cello, you know, um, more uh, like complementary teachers, perhaps. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be a good, you know, I I'm, my role is really to surf that line between. Like, I really tell tell students, I wouldn't have the chops that I have if I hadn't just practiced classical music for so long before getting into jazz and I say that all the time or improvised music um, and so you have to but I think that like they're, they're probably I mean Eric Friedlander has etude books that he's dabbled in and like jazz licks for the cello and there, there are more there are more and more uh, books being published of just practicing like you would a saxophone you know jazz saxophone charts just with cello I think there should be more things like that to publish. Yeah, of course there are ways, and there should be more. Um, You don't have to just move to New Orleans and jump on stage and make a complete fool of yourself, like, for three years. Unless you want to. It's kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs)